1: That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrowcom slash ACAST. This happened about two years ago on October 27th. I do a lot of hiking and I wanted to share with you all what is without a doubt one of the strangest things that I have experienced while hiking. While on the way back from the summit of Mount San Jacinto in California, a fairly popular trail. Just as day was changing over to dusk about 4 miles and 2,000 vertical feet, a good two to three hour hike, from the tram we spotted a woman dressed in all black flapper attire with the exception of a white scarf. This woman was in dress shoes and carrying a very nice beaded purse. She was walking very intently and at a hurried pace up the mountain. If you're familiar with the hike it's at the top of the Wellman Divide. Nearly without words I asked her if she was lost, to which she replied. I'm on the trail aren't I? Her face looked grey and her lips were sort of blue, it was pretty cold outside. So as quickly as she had passed us she was gone. My friend and myself looked at each other like now we have seen everything. After conversations with other hikers on the way down that had also seen her, I was kiddingly remarking that I was sure we had seen some sort of ghost looking for a lost love much like the mysterious lady in black story folklore. It was a truly bizarre experience. About an hour later we were resting at Round Valley and we saw her again. Keep in mind this is literally in the middle of the forest at 9,000 feet elevation. A good two hours hike from anything and the temps were around 35 degrees. The fact that is so close to Halloween was not lost on me either. At any rate I make no claims of the supernatural, but I'm not ruling it out, but I thought everyone might enjoy the story and the pictures of this truly strange encounter. I was a US Army infantryman deployed to Afghanistan in 2006-2007 on the Pakistan border. I spent the majority of my night time deployment sitting outside of the FOB in mounted OPs because the CO thought if we did this then the enemy wouldn't move at night. Which was ridiculous because nothing happens at night over there. Seriously, they don't have street lights or electricity so unless it's a full moon you could trip into a wadi and break your neck, but anyway. So I spent 16 months over there taking turns sitting in the turret of the truck staring out into darkness. One eye seeing green from NODs and the other seeing nothing from the pitch black. I got very accustomed to viewing the world this way and if anything moved my eyes would pick it up instantly. Most of the time it was dogs or sheep or whatever so no big deal. So 8 months in, I lose one of my best friends to a landmine. One of the shittiest days of my life. Us being infantry, We got about two hours back at the FOB to try to comprehend what just happened before the CO sends us back out on patrol, yay! So I'm sitting there in the turret staring out into the darkness as usual thinking about the things that had just gone down. So obviously my mind isn't in the best place. Regardless, as I am staring out into the darkness my non-night vision I catches some movement off to my right and I distinctly see the silhouette of a person. This person is moving around the outside of our perimeter and I figuratively shit my pants since this hasn't happened at all during my time there. So naturally I snap my head towards the movement to get a good picture of this person with my night vision to attempt to figure out what kind of crazy local villager is trying to get shot. Nothing is there. Creepy as F. So I figure I'm just stressed from losing my friend and calm myself down and settle back in for the rest of guard duty. So I go back to looking straight ahead and sure as shit as soon as my eyes get back to 12 o'clock I see movement again out of my peripheral. Figurative pants shitting happens again. Again nothing is there through night vision. Still creepy as f. So at this point I've about had it with this crazy country and being shot at and all that stuff so I think to myself. Okay, F it let's see what happens so I turn my head back to 12 and watch out of my peripheral vision and I distinctly remember the shape of a person walking around the outside of our perimeter. I can only see this dark figure when I'm not looking directly at it but like I said at this point I have no Fs left to give, so I sit and watch. As I sit and watch I get the feeling that I know the figure who is patrolling our perimeter and I am filled with the thought that as was my buddy who we had just lost earlier that day. Creepy instantly turned to comforting and I sat and watched the movement as long as I could. I still to the day believe it was him. So that's my story. I used to hike a park near my house, had been hanging out there for years. One time I was walking the main trail when I noticed an opening in the brush leading to an area I had never been before. I love exploring so I, of course, decided to check it out. I was walking around for a while when I noticed a fairly large bone in the leaves, I wasn't too concerned as we lived in a very ethnic neighborhood and I just assumed it was a cow or pig bone that someone had left from butchering but then I noticed the very human looking pelvic bone laying close by. I stood there for a moment sort of comparing my pelvis to the one on the ground before getting my knife out and getting the F out of there. I called the police and led them to the bones and they agreed that the remains were human, although they theorized it was probably a homeless person. I had been working as a forest ranger for almost 5 years. A ranger's day could consist of anything from collecting firewood to tracking down missing hikers. And my day began like most, I would wake up early, walking into work and grabbing my binoculars. As I was about to drive out of the forest, I got a call. That day, I was given a new assignment. I met up with another colleague, a fellow ranger, and we went to the center of this area where somebody had been reporting hearing strange screaming coming from around a cave system nearby. My partner and I decided that I would be able to handle it by myself. He had other things to do, and this was just another run-of-the-mill investigation for me. After he left, I headed towards that area where there had been several unreported mounds to this cave system. Now, let me give you some information. This cave system runs pretty deep. And there are guided tours. But I also know that this cave system is very expansive and also has a lot of unidentified entrances and holes that can lead deeper into the system. These are also off-trail, so myself, I've never actually experienced finding more of these, although I know hikers have reported finding many and even leaving makeshift markers to let other hikers know this was an entrance. The parts of the ground here were also dangerous. Meaning if you step on the wrong part, the ground below you could collapse, falling into a tunnel. So, I had to be very careful about how I approached this entire search. The good news is I wasn't hearing any screaming, so that could be good or bad news. The bad news meaning the hiker, whoever was stuck there, could have been deceased or what, but the good news being that maybe the hiker had gotten themselves out. Anyway, My heart was pounding just by the sheer adrenaline of it. I didn't know why, but something told me to run. It was this feeling in the pit of my gut. As soon as I got there, right around the cavern system, the wind picked up, and everything seemed colder than it already was. A gust. Now, I could have begun my investigation in the main entrance, but as I was planning, I heard the scream. It sounded like a person, but they were maybe a couple hundred feet away, north. So, I marched through the trees, looking, following the source of the screaming, yelling out, Can you hear me? Can you respond? And the screaming ceased. I followed along the rock wall and found this crude hole in the ground, maybe no larger than five feet. It was right by a rotted tree stump with only one branch on it. This, I knew probably went down into one of the cave systems. This, by the way, was probably no more than 200 feet away from the main entrance. After crouching down, I was able to slide down at a 45 degree angle into this cave system, landing in a small chamber that I think connected to the others. I always carry a flashlight with me, so I took it out and turned it on. As soon as I did that, the caves plunged into darkness as my battery instantly died that's when I heard a loud crash. I turned around, or I should say, turned to meet the noise, and my flashlight popped back on. There, like out of some sort of sick Stephen King novel, was this grotesque figure. Large black eyes covering its entire body, stretching its arms out and moving toward me. Terrified, I wanted to turn and run, but didn't have time, as there was another one of these beings coming from the opposite side of the cave, approaching. I turned as fast as I could and fled up the 45-degree incline about the cave. Just as I was turning to climb up, I could hear a third one approaching from directly behind me. Now, I had one coming from my left, my right, and behind me. This one, as I turned and looked, was larger than the other two. Completely terrified out of my mind, and the sounds of screaming were now apparent, coming deeper in the cavern. I don't know if it was an injured hiker or if these things were making the noise, luring anybody into this tiny crevice, this chamber into the earth. Like I said, the opening to this cavern wasn't large, but I never in a million years would have expected to find things like this. This was horror movie status. I didn't tell anybody else about what I found and kept it to myself. After climbing out of that hole, I ran and ran and ran some more, getting back to the station later on. I didn't say a word, and I knew the other rangers wouldn't believe me. And what would I tell them? That I found a cave full of half arachnids, half creatures? I mean, they'd probably think I was crazy. Now, I've kept this sacred for a while, but how long can I keep it from the rest of the world? Will my story ever be told to other people, or should I just stay quiet about what had happened? Let me just apologize and say I'm sorry for the formatting of the story. I'm a terrible writer, and I am not a storyteller, so I apologize in advance. But these creatures that I saw were unlike anything I've ever seen. They really reminded me if you crossed a tarantula with a human. I mean, these were gross. They made this hissing clicking noise too. I know it sounds phony through email, but it's really hard for me to convey emotion properly. At least through written communication. With all the information coming out anymore about missing hikers and seeing strange figures and shapes in the woods, and all the other bizarre happenings of 2020, I figured, hey, maybe now is an okay time to be open about my experiences and hopefully not experience backlash. My name is Officer T. Williamson, and I'm currently an officer in a small town east of Phoenix, Arizona. My encounter involves an online report that I had read from a man who goes by the name of Ken. The report detailed how he and his family have been being harassed by what they believe to be a demon for almost three years now. Mr. Ken begins the report by describing the very first encounter he had with this evil entity, which occurred back in the fall of 2013 at their home in Arizona. While nobody else was around except for his wife, who at the time was taking a shower, he explains that out of nowhere, he hears her scream from upstairs. So he runs up there to see what's wrong, only to find her standing there frozen with terror written all over her face, staring into the nothingness. When he asked her what was wrong, she described a tall, dark figure standing in the corner of their bedroom right outside of their bathroom door. Mr. Ken claims that when he looked in the same corner, all he saw was a pitch black void where the figure had been standing, which caused this intense feeling of dread to come over him, made him feel as if death were staring him into his very soul. He told his wife there's nothing there, let her out of the bathroom for fear of her safety, after she clearly voiced concern about going back into the room, and with it still being very present, she had a hard time even going back in there, just turning off the shower. Ken then explains how throughout the next three years, this entity would go on to harass the family, manifesting in just about a different form every night. Whether it be the same dark figure or sometimes this evil-looking gnome creature with red eyes, and another time he claims it appeared as a spirit made of pure fire. He said that although nothing ever physically happened to anybody within the house, everyone has experienced scratch marks, cuts, bruising all over their bodies for no real reason at all, all happening at separate times. Ken, too, claims that whatever this thing is, loves to stand outside the bathroom door while people are showering and appears to be immune to things like crosses or crucifixes or even holy water. Going deeper into the report that I read, it didn't go into too much more detail about this entity, but from what Ken did say, it sounded like this was a type of spirit that takes the form it believes will frighten its victim the most, a shape-shifting spirit. That being said, if Ken's family has been dealing with one for almost three years, I would say they have done very well in keeping whatever this thing was harassing them away from harming anybody. I'm not sure why this thing chose to show itself now after all these years, but maybe something happened recently to make it think attacking them might be possible. It also makes me wonder whether or not whoever wrote this report actually recorded everything their demon did throughout all the years and left that stuff out when writing about it just in case anybody reading it decided to call them out on their story. I don't think what Ken has been experiencing was either a demon or a Bogart but an entity that he and his family unintentionally invoked by possibly playing around with some kind of occult paraphernalia. Which caused a ritualistic nightmare spirit to cross over from the spirit realm into their home, which they then failed to send back. If this really did go on for three years straight, I would say whatever is going on with their house definitely falls under the paranormal category instead of something rational. Like waking up at night and scratching yourself with your eyes still closed because you were dreaming about scratching yourself when, in reality, You're just moving around in your sleep due to maybe a medical condition or maybe even suffering from sleep paralysis. Sometimes you just have to take people who claim they are being harassed by something invisible with a grain of salt. I mean, even if it is real, there might just be some sort of logical explanation of what's going on that they possibly haven't thought of yet. On the day it happened, I was hiking on a small trail alongside a stream off of a forest road in Lawson National Forest in northeastern California. There were a couple of cars along the road so I thought it would be a safe place for me to hop onto a small trail. I like to hike in some odd places, practicing my navigation skills with a map and a compass and my phone GPS app tracking my path. I like to pinpoint some unique land features on a topo map and go find them. I usually go with a group of orienteering friends, but that day I was hiking solo. When I'm alone I don't go too far into the forest. However, the events of that day drove me deep into the forest. The stream was rather small compared to the actual stream bed which was odd considering there had been a decent snowfall over the winter. I also noticed that there was a lot of algae in this stream and a quarter mile and I could smell a rotting trout long before I came upon it. There were pieces of trash littered along the stream. I also came across a few small dead animals near the stream as I walked along the trail. It was disgusting but I assume this is a popular area with teens or target shooters and they probably left some trash behind. I didn't know that these were the warning signs of what I was walking into. About a mile and the trail diverged from the stream and cut through the shrubs and trees. I was close to my destination a spot along the stream that looked like it could possibly have a small waterfall. The trail turned left and it opened up to a large flat clearing. I stopped immediately, looking across the clearing. There was trash everywhere and there were rows of cultivated dirt, but the plants were all uprooted. There was a holding pond lined with plastic sheeting along the stream and there was a pile of sports drink bottles filled with a milky pink fluid next to it. Along the edges of the garden were what looked like homemade spike strips, boards with nails driven through them. I could smell the distinct odor of marijuana in the air. This was an illegal growth site. There had been enough news reports about what happens to people who come across these illegal growth sites for me to know that I needed to get away fast. I turned and I ran into the shrubs on the opposite side of the trail. Hiding behind a crumbling tree stump I checked my map to make sure I was heading into uneven terrain where I would be unlikely to find another garden. The cars at the trailhead likely belonged to whoever was maintaining this garden but since they weren't at this location they were probably at another. I started to stand up but dropped back down holding my position when I heard a pair of male voices talking in Spanish. I recognized a few words like mountain and up when they were talking and they kept repeating grand. Grand. When their voices faded away I quietly started to go in the opposite direction putting distance between me and them. The map indicated that if I kept going east there were no streams and there would be some decent elevation changes. But afterward, there was a forest road I could follow. I walked straight through maintaining an eastbound path for half an hour until I heard a soft wailing sound coming from the left of me. I stopped dead in my tracks. It sounded like nothing I'd heard in the forest before. It didn't sound like an animal, it sounded human. I could smell a strange odor in the air and I noticed some long tracks on the ground that looked like a bear double step. But one side had splotchy blood in it. I grabbed my bear spray and knife out of my bag and stood still, looking around for the source of the noise. I took a couple of steps forward and everything went silent. Suddenly, I felt something crash into my left side from the rear knocking me to the ground. I looked up terrified that it was a bear but it looked like a massive man covered in dirty blonde hair and very tan skin. He grunted at me and then collapsed on the ground his feet near my face I could see a massive gash in the sole of his foot with pine needles and dirt sticking to the blood that was oozing out. I heard voices coming from the direction I had just come from. I wasn't sure if it was the same men but I didn't want to risk it. I jumped up on my feet, smacked his leg, and said go. As loud as I dared. I started running east and I heard his limping footsteps pounding on the ground heading slightly north of me. There was a hill ahead with several large boulders that I could somewhat see through the thick trees. I continued running until I reached it. I climbed up the hill and I could smell that weird odor again. I followed the odor and I found the hairy man collapsed on his back on the ground. He was taking short rapid breaths. I could see that he had two holes in the far right side of his chest where there was blood oozing as well. He looked human yet he didn't. He looked like he could kill me single-handedly, but I had an overwhelming urge to help him. I knelt down beside him and grabbed his massive hand to try and check for his pulse. I could feel a strong beating under his skin giving me hope. He looked at me with eyes that seemed to ask for help. I pulled the first aid kit out of my pack and looked at what I had trying to figure out the best way to make what I had work. I keep my day kit light, carrying only things that will patch me up enough to get to help. I only had two hemostatic gauze pads. The chest wounds were the most concerning. I put my ear near the wounds listening for sucking sounds, then applied the gauze when I heard none. I applied pressure for several minutes then ripped two pieces of tape off of the roll to hold them there. His eyes were slightly open and watching me as I gestured for him to open his mouth. He closed his eyes with his mouth still shut. He could have indicated to me by now if he didn't want me touching him so I went for it. I carefully pulled open his mouth to check his gums and tongue keeping my fingers clear in case he decided to snap his mouth closed. His gums were dark but his tongue was pink. I didn't see any signs that his lungs had been punctured but when I looked at his teeth they weren't quite like a human's. His canine teeth were larger but not as oversized as a gorilla's. Once the critical injury was dressed I went down to work on his foot, washing it gently with some water from my pack. He started moaning, lifting his head up and looking at me, but he didn't jerk his foot away. I did my best trying to clean it out using one of my maxi pads to wipe away the debris and dry the skin. The cut was long nearly an inch deep across most of it and there was a hole on the top of his foot as well. His foot was very broad and flat and the wound was trying to splay open. I filled the cut with ointment and used the tape to make massive butterfly strips to pull the two sides of the wound together leaving drainage gaps between the strips. I left the hole on top uncovered to serve as a drain as well. I then took my last maxi pad and strapped it to the bottom of his foot like a sandal using tape across the top. I looked back up at his face and I could see a small trickle of blood running on the ground by his head. I had missed a wound someplace. I went back to his side and pulled on his arm hoping he would get the idea to roll over. He was too heavy for me to pull over without his help. Finally, he rolled onto his side and I found two jagged exit wounds on his back, about the size of my thumb. I didn't have much left in my first aid kit, but I did have several tampons. I opened up the tampon package and put the applicator in about an inch deep and inserted the tampon leaving about a third of it outside of his body. I repeated this in the other hole and then pulled on his arm to get him on his back to keep pressure on the tampons. Once he was flat again he closed his eyes and his breathing slowed down. He seemed to be sleeping. I stayed there watching him for a few minutes and cleaning up my trash when I heard shots in the distance. I needed to get down to where I could find help but I couldn't leave him exposed. My cell phone didn't have service at this point so I needed to get down to the road. I didn't think it was likely whoever was shooting the gun would come up the hill but I gathered up the few branches I could find and covered him with them hoping he would stay sleeping until I came back. I started down the hill on the eastern side heading towards the forest road once I hit the flat dirt I ran south until I saw a truck heading down the road towards me. I could see the light bar on top and I felt so relieved at that point. I knew I was safe. The ranger pulled up to me and I broke down relieved. I knew I couldn't come right out and talk about the Sasquatch. Instead, I told the ranger about the illegal grow and I said that I saw a severely wounded bear with young cubs they had shot. It was a lie but I needed him to go back with me and check on him and he probably wouldn't believe me if I said what he really was. We drove back to the hill and we ascended where I hit him. The ranger was following close behind me with his gun drawn. The ranger wanted me to follow behind. I wanted to make sure I was the first face the Sasquatch saw. He likely wouldn't survive another gunshot wound and if he slammed into the ranger as he did to me the ranger would likely shoot. When I was able to see the top of the hill I could see the branches but he was gone. The blood from his back was still there but the branches I'd covered him with were arranged into an X on the ground. It's been 6 years since that day but I feel like it was yesterday. Since I didn't see him get his injuries I'll never know for certain what happened. I've read stories about them being protectors of the forest and I think that's what he was doing. These illegal growers divert water from streams to grow pot and their camping garbage brings a lot of wildlife to their gardens. They use highly potent and sometimes illegal rodenticides and insecticides and large die-offs are common around growth sites, everything from birds to bears. It would make sense that he would want to push them out of his forest. I'm certain he was shot and I think when he was running away he stepped on a spike strip and it ripped through his foot. I did my best to take care of him and I wish I knew he was okay out there. I was a field engineer doing software installation and commissioning on telecom equipment controllers. These units are located at cell sites tower bases which your phone connects to in order to provide you service and connectivity from your cell service provider. A lot of these towers are in very very remote places. In this particular project I would go in the day after the construction crews completed their tower and electrical work. I would be by myself with just my work truck, air card and laptop. This particular site was in rural Virginia. I probably still have the email from when I was on that project with the site's coordinates so I will try and post those later if I find them. If it's not against policy of course. The site was about 2-3 to three miles into the deep woods of Virginia. It was near a now abandoned mine of some sort, not sure exactly what they were mining for but there was very old mining carts and drilling equipment scattered about as I was driving to the site. It was starting to get dark but this was supposed to be a quick in and out type deal. LTE commissioning usually takes one hour or less and since I saw a civil war era cemetery connected to the gravel road which leads to the site. I was in more of a rush than usual. See the thing is, when you try and rush things, especially because of fear, you will f up. And boy did I f up. Something that should have taken one hour took over four. When I finally completed my work and closed my laptop screen I realized how dark it was outside, and that I was all alone at the base of a tower in the middle of nowhere. I quickly gathered my belongings and headed towards my car which was probably 60 yards away at the gate of the compound where the tower was located. When I tried to close the gate behind me it was so dark that I couldn't see the chain and lock, so I put my car in reverse, put the e-brake up and shut off the ignition. This way my reverse lights were lighting up the gate for me so I could close it. Just trying to give you an idea of the utter darkness I was in. After all that I headed down the trail to the secondary gate which leads to the site, about half mile from the actual compound. Same situation as before, too dark so had the car in reverse. Well when trying to close this gate I heard in the distance what I can only describe as the most menacing and evil female laughter. It sounded like it was pretty far away but I got shook to the bone. I left that secondary gate wide open and nope the hell out of there. On the drive out I remembered the cemetery I had to drive by. Needless to say I didn't look at it when drove past it on the way out. After speaking with the construction crew that built the site, they also said they heard people whispering in the woods at night but could never spot anyone. They also heard what sounded like people picking at rock with tools but they were certain no other construction or anything was taking place anywhere for miles on end. The beast was never clearly seen, but around 1992 while hunting a swamp just before dark here in Louisiana I was stalk hunting while wading through knee-deep water. I saw water movement through some very thick hedgerow-like brush. At first, I believed it to be ducks so I sneaked up to the edge of the brush for a clear shot, but when I got there I could see movement through the thick brush 6 feet over the water, and at the same time there were small wakes in the water coming through the brush every time it moved. I was less than 10 feet from this animal and I could hear it sniffing the air. It suddenly froze still when it picked up my scent. We were frozen in a noiseless standoff for at least 2 minutes. It couldn't see me but it was looking for me because it knew I was very close. I knew this was something weird and my situation wasn't good, so while mostly hidden I slowly and quietly over a minute or so replaced the bird shot and my 12 gauge with 33 magnum 000 buckshot. When I raised my gun to ready fire it saw me, and when it did I believe it thought that I was closer than it expected because that thing screamed like a wild hog being killed x10 very hair-raising loud. It then suddenly leapt several feet out of the water and about
0: even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweaters starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: About 12 or so feet out into deeper water of about 8 to 10 feet deep. In that instant when it jumped I could see its back or something slightly above the brush. It had spiked hair. When it landed in the water it sounded like a 300-plus pound animal splash. It remained underwater until it reached the other side of the slough, when it came out on land I couldn't see it. I then made a huge circle around the animal to try and cut it off in an ambush. I wasn't really scared because even though it was God knows what, I knew I scared it more. I mean I sneaked up less than 10 feet of this thing and it had no clue I was even there until it winded me. Besides at that range, A 12 gauge with that load of shots is like being shot 10 times with an AR-15 in one spot. A 12 gauge load like that can put a hole the size of your fist through a wild hog, that's an animal that has one of the toughest hides on the planet. There's nothing on this earth that will survive very long with a rib cage shot from that load at that range. I knew this already, that's why I give chase. Anyway, I tried ambushing with no luck, I wanted to continue hunting it, but all I had was a small pocket light and it was only about 10 minutes before total darkness. Before I set out of the swamp I looked and found its tracks. I found canine-like tracks about 4 to 5 feet wide and 6 to 7 foot long, they were bipedal tracks set about 6 feet apart due to the animal running. There's a lot more to the story but I will leave it at this for now. I gathered enough info about this animal over the years that I'm convinced it can be hunted and killed. It walks on two legs and has K9, like feet, so it's whatever you want to call it. I just know it exists, and I see it more as an animal than a monster. As a park ranger in Yellowstone National Park for many years, I never anticipated the terrifying encounter I had one fateful night. With darkness surrounding the vast wilderness, I embarked on my routine patrol, oblivious to the horrors that awaited me. The night was unusually quiet, a thick mist veiling the towering pines and casting eerie shadows on the forest floor. Venturing deeper into the park, my gaze caught an unmarked trail, beckoning me with intrigue and curiosity. Unable to resist its mysterious allure, I ventured into its uncharted depths. The path led me away from the familiar track, winding through dense vegetation and twisted trees. Silence hung heavily, broken only by the rustling of leaves beneath my boots. I couldn't shake the feeling of trespassing in an ancient realm untouched by humanity. As I ventured further, a bone-chilling coldness settled around me, causing the hair on my neck to stand on end. The dense canopy blocked the moonlight, plunging me into an impenetrable darkness. It was then that I heard a low, guttural growl that reverberated through the stillness. My heart raced as I scanned the surroundings, searching for the source of the ominous sound. Amidst the shadowy undergrowth, I caught sight of a towering figure resembling Bigfoot, its massive frame blending with the darkness. Fear gripped me, threatening to immobilize my every move. Instinct surged within, urging me to escape the clutches of this cryptid creature. I attempted to retrace my steps, but the winding trail seemed to morph, guiding me deeper into its lair. The creature pursued me with a disturbing grace, its elongated limbs propelling it effortlessly through the underbrush. Its hot breath grazed my neck, its thunderous footsteps closing in. Desperation flooded my veins as I desperately sought a means of defense. In a moment of clarity, I reached for my rifle, hands trembling with adrenaline. With unwavering determination, I aimed, fired, and unleashed a flurry of bullets at the advancing beast. It howled in pain, another worldly cry that reverberated through the night, before vanishing into the depths of the woods. Gasping for breath, I collapsed to the ground, overwhelmed by the weight of the encounter. Sweat drenched my brow as I realized the magnitude of what I had witnessed. The memory of that cryptid creature lurking in the darkness would forever be etched in my mind. Yet, as I sat there, shaken and alone, a nagging thought consumed me. Who would believe my account? Last year in northwest Florida I was out hunting the swamp from a kayak. I had stayed out longer than I had wanted and went into the swamp further than I wanted. As darkness started creeping on me I had a huge owl sweep down on me and almost hit me. It was absolutely silent. I never heard it until it had almost made contact with me. That started the puckering of the anus. After I somewhat calmed down from that I noticed that a deafening silence had come over the swamp. Completely unusual. Then it started. As I was paddling I noticed a sound off in the distance. It was a faint sound of drums and people singing. Now where I was at was many miles in a swamp with one way in and many miles to any other access to solid land. As I sat and listened it became obvious to me that I was hearing music and chanting of Native Americans. I sat listening for quite some time. It was the only sound in the entire swamp. Then as quickly as I had noticed it it had stopped. I paddled on in without any other sounds for the rest of the trip. Some years back I was out deer hunting in southern Illinois. As usual, I was up and in the field by 3.30 am. I had scoped out my spot the day before and taped off some trees with fluorescent tape to help guide me through the dark, well that plan didn't work for shit. So here I am walking around this forest in pitch blackness. I thought for sure I knew where I was going, but I got myself all turned around. I was in my teens at the time, so I slightly began to panic. Thankfully, my pops taught me that if you ever find yourself lost in the darkness of the woods, just pop a squat and stay there until dawn. When dawn broke, I was able to see my dear blind was only 10 or so yards from where I was at. It's not necessarily creepy, but that feeling of being totally lost in unfamiliar woods is extremely nerve-wracking. My girlfriend's dad told us he was out moose hunting when they came across three guys from out of state looking to party before a wedding, get drunk and have a good old time. They were loud as f*** for the next two nights to the point the dad's group went and checked it out. The groom had been tied up and was beaten because he cheated on his bride with one of his friend's significant others. After he was rescued, he told them they held a gun to his head and he was most likely going to be murdered in rural Alaska. This story almost belongs on no sleep but I swear it's real. Hiking along a section of the PCT with my aunt and dog after three days we found ourselves at an impassable river crossing with the dog and have to head back. Reluctant to go over the mountain passes we just did, we pulled out our map and find what seems to be an interesting trail through the Ansel Adams wilderness to that will put us back where we started. We go to a resupply point, got some dinner and a shower, and ask if we can get a four wheeler ride up the road to the trailhead. They say nobody goes up that road and we couldn't get one, but a man on vacation with his family offers to help up out. We drive about two miles up the road and it proves to be so washed out, it becomes impossible to drive further so we then him for his help and continue on foot. We walk another three miles or so to the trailhead and find it completely destroyed by fallen over trees and it looks like no one has been there for decades. Turns out this was an old logging road used in that area before it became a wilderness area 50 or 60 years ago. So we start hiking down to the trail another 4 miles until we camp for the night. Along this trail we see nothing but bear tracks and deer tracks, no people tracks, horses, or anything. We even stumble on a bear in the middle of taking a dump on the side of the trail and scare him off. From our camp the road or trail gets really tough it was about six miles of climbing over giant fir trees one after another. We finally reached an opening and followed it for about another mile until amazingly we couldn't believe it but we came up on a two-story building way out there in the middle of nowhere, 15 miles from the nearest people and 50 from any civilization. This place was super eerie. The house was straight out of the Blair Witch and it must have been there since before it became a wilderness area. This where thing got weird. We found a sign here for our trail that pointed directly into thick brush and bushes. This is when we knew we were a little screwed. We decided that we should just go for it anyway. We were too far to turn back now and luckily we had a GPS to help guide us even without a trail. So we go through the bushes and follow what used to be a trail. We get about another mile or so down the trail before I notice barefoot human prints. Let me remind you that I've been seeing bear prints and cougar prints along this trail the whole time. These were human. I put my size 11 hiking shoe over it and they were the same size and shape and asked my aunt if I was going crazy and she agreed it was human. We walked another 500 yards down the trail with human prints leading us to what looked like either a dump or a homeless camp. There was a tarp strung up, trash bags piled up, and garbage scattered all over next to the creek. Nope. F that. No more investigating this creepy place in the middle of nowhere. We just hiked as fast as we could continuing up the hill and away from that place as possible with the eerie feeling that someone was watching us for miles. We continued the way we did hiking with no trail for another 12 miles until we reached a maintained trail on the other side of the pass along some really pretty areas that probably haven't been seen in years. But seeing a homeless Bigfoot camp in the middle of nowhere was not one of them. However, when I was younger my father bought a plot of reclaimed coal mines land. It was quite literally in the midst of hundreds of acres of wilderness. Me and my younger brother would play in the woods around our house and we found some interesting stuff. There was an old wooden wagon that was broken down and rotting that we found. We also found what looked like the remnants of an old cable pulley system with wooden buckets attached to it. The thing that scared me the most happened to me and my best friend at the time, We were outside playing basketball when these shadowy figures appeared at the edge of the forest. There were four of them and they were completely black except for their eyes. It was like a pin prick through paper that when you shine a light on it the paper is the shadow and hole is this area of light. That's what their eyes looked like. They knew us by name and called out to us. They were calling us over to them. We ran away into the house and didn't come out for a long time. This happened when I was 8 or 9 years old and I guess I repressed it, but I kept having this memory of these shadow people and my friend. At first I thought it was just a dream that I'd had but the memory was persistent. When I was much older, I believe mid-twenties, I was with my friend and told him that I had a question that I needed to ask him. I told him that it was going to sound crazy but it happened while we were playing basketball when we were younger. He instantly answered saying the shadow people at the edge of the woods. It completely threw me. He verified that it had truly happened without me really asking about it. It still shakes me to this day when I think about it. First time hunting, about six years ago in my early twenties. I was with two friends from high school that I hadn't seen in a few years. One of the guys say his name is Freddy, had gone silent on me and my other friend, let's say Jacob. Freddy came back into town and went drinking with Jacob. Jacob calls me saying Freddy is back and wants to go camping. Turns into hunting pretty quick. Here's the weird part. Freddy had this unmistakable scar over his eye, like he'd been in a fight with a guy and liked the movies. The knife was pressed down. I'd asked Jacob and he hadn't checked as to why. But we found out pretty quick the guy was nuts so who knows. Freddy says he remembered hunting there with his dad. Mind you we were supposed to be camping. He said the location was just up the way. A few shots of tequila and about 5 more just up the ways and Freddy stops. He looks back. I realize it's twilight and darkness is falling on us fast. Freddy, Jacob, I think this is where it happened. Jacob looks back at me bewildered. Jacob, what's that, man? Freddy, where it almost killed me. About that time, the tequila buzz amped up and I laughed out loud. Turns out Freddy didn't like this and took off running. We try to catch up but he's like gone gone. So drunk Jacob and I had to pop open our easy setup tent and stay the night in bum f Montana. Jacob and I start talking about Freddy, his history, The eye and where the F he went to. Throughout the night we heard what we thought for sure was him. Same cough and all. We start laughing about old times and must have passed out. I hear a zipper, and see a dim light through the film of the tent. It's Freddy. Hey guys, get the F up. I'm freaking out. Buzz had worn off, but Jacob and I were totally confused. Freddy, my friend Sam doesn't believe me when I tell him I got friends or something to that effect. Sam turned out to be a deep woodsman from the backcountry. A true hillbilly hick in every sense. Dude smelled like compost, and I couldn't see much of him, just silhouette. Jacob pulls a gun and tells them to F off. We get out, leaving everything behind. I was still a bit too drunk to process what happened. The sun comes up and we hit the main road again after what was probably two hours if walking. I sober up completely and Jacob tells me something that I still remember. He said he never drank the tequila, only I did, and that when I started rambling all weird, he knew Freddy had slipped us something. Freddy never had a friend with him, turns out I hallucinated it. I guess he had slipped me something that made me hallucinate all the conversations and everything. The one accurate part I got right was Freddy had taken off running, but it wasn't long. He came back, telling Jacob he let us out there to hunt us and wanted us to run. Jacob pulled his gun he had packed, against my wishes, and freaked old Freddy out, and he ran off for good. It was a rough end to what was a decent friendship in school. No telling what his scar was from and what happened to him, but we clearly lost all contact, and I bought Jacob a real shot of tequila after we got back into town the next weekend. He saved me. The kicker was he didn't even have any bullets in the gun. He said he forgot to load it. Still freaks me out. A few years ago my wife and I were living near Laneville, Texas which is located in Rusk County on Farm to Market Route 225. My wife loves gardens and we always had a chicken pen. Our adult children enjoy the garden produce and the fresh eggs from our hens. We lived this way for many years after we moved there in 1981. We had no intention of ever going back to the big city. The incident that I'm writing about happened in 2015 and it signaled the end of our chicken business. Each morning I have to walk down to the chicken pen that was 150 feet behind our house. After I fed the chickens and checked their water I headed back to the house to eat breakfast. I had guns but I never carried one around our own property. At that time we had a terrier who went everywhere we did. She had never shown any inclination to be afraid of anything, but on this day I was in the middle of my chores when the terrier stopped dead still. She was fixed on something beyond the tree line behind the chicken pen and the hair on her neck and back stood straight up. She was frozen in place and didn't move a single muscle. I shifted my gaze to the tree line and what I saw caught my breath. I knew I was looking at something I had never seen before. This thing apparently had been walking just outside the tree line and it stopped when we did. It seemed to be the size of a wolf. Its head was light grey and there wasn't a single hair on its body. Its rear legs made it appear as though it could easily walk on all fours or stand upright like a man. The tail was the same length as its body and from where I stood it looked like a dog until it turned revealing a head, that looked more like a feline than a canine with similar short pointed ears. The eyes were something unworldly. They were bright blue and bored into us for about 15 seconds showing no sign of fear. It then turned and walked to the woods and out of sight. I tried to make sense of what I had just witnessed as I hurried and tossed the chicken feed into the pen I realized that the terrier had already hightailed it back to the house ahead of me. Over breakfast I told my wife about the encounter and from that day onward the terrier would not go near the chicken pen unless she was with me. Even then she stayed behind me always watching the woods. I did too. It's strange how random things can suddenly make sense once you see a connection. A few weeks later, a feral dog got into the pen and was trying to kill a chicken. I was going to gather eggs and ever since the strange encounter that day I had begun carrying a rifle with me. I shot the dog, got a shovel, and dug a hole behind the pen. The feral dog was the size of a large collie and must have weighed 80 or so pounds. I had to drag the carcass to the hole and roll it in. After burying the dog and securing the pen I went back to the house and that was the end of it, or so we thought. Two days later, while feeding the chickens, I noticed something odd behind the pen. I walked around to take a look. What I found was a hole two feet across right where I had buried the dead dog and the carcass was gone. There were no drag marks so whatever it was, it was big enough to pull the body up out of the dirt and carry it off without leaving a trail. I searched all over the back of our property and never found anything that would suggest some sort of scavenger was at work. My wife and I were the only ones who knew what I had buried back there. The next morning, when I went to feed the chickens, it looked like a crime scene. They were all dead and their headless remains were scattered about the pen. The rooster had been tossed twenty feet from the ground into the top of a persimmon tree. Oddly enough, given the scale of the carnage, there was not a single drop of blood anywhere. The gate was latched and there was no hole in the fence or signs of something that gained entry by digging under the fence. But the killer had left some evidence behind. There were footprints and deep gouges made by three long claws that were estimated to be two and a half inches long. I drove over to my neighbor's house and asked him to have a look at the tracks. He was a hunter who was born and raised in the area, but even he was stumped. He suggested we call a friend of his who was a constable and another long-time resident. He looked at the tracks and examined the dead chickens. After he noticed the dead rooster dangling in the tree he warned us not to go out at night without a gun. We decided not to replace the chickens. Not long after that incident, we moved to another location. We just didn't want to cross paths with whatever was lurking around the property. I live in Michigan and regularly go out trapping or coyote hunting. One day I'm taking a long time friend hunting for the first time. He lived out of state so he wasn't familiar with the area and its types of people and habits so to speak. Anyways, we were walking along and unfortunately the coyote spot I usually used had now been useless after so many uses of traps and shots taken. So we went a bit deeper to look for a better spot. The coyotes had a den in some lowlands and thick brush. I don't usually go out there but I didn't want my friend's first hunt to be a boring one so we pressed on. After a bit of walking my friend noticed a blood trail and I assumed another hunter hit and wounded one. I figured we would track to make sure it didn't suffer so we followed the blood trail. The strange part was we didn't notice any tracks and it was winter so tracks would be easy as day to spot. However, when we reached the source we ended up finding something a lot more gruesome. We came across the dead bodies of a man and woman. The man had a crossbow bolt in his stomach and looked like he had been stabbed. The woman was stabbed much worse and looked like she had been quote sexually used. Needless to say we called the police. I've never been back to those woods since and now when I got out I wear body armor underneath my vest and always go with a partner. I'm always going to go back to the forest and this isn't a hunting story but here's one unknown thing that really freaked me out. I was hiking the highest peak in Utah with a small group over one fourth of July weekend and we had to backpack in about 12 miles to where we would set up camp. One of the guys in our group owned two pack llamas and brought them along to carry some stuff. The owner said that llamas are very territorial and will make a high pitched gobbling sound if they feel threatened. I thought that was weird and didn't really believe him. On the second night after summiting the peak, I had a crazy headache and wasn't getting any sleep in my tiny single-person tent. I had been laying there for hours after everyone else had gone to bed and it was late into the night when I started hearing gobbling from the llamas in our camp. Sitting alone in a tent with no protection and not knowing what is looming around my campsite did not make for a fun night and that was the last time I slept in a tent. In the morning everyone said they were asleep and did not hear anything. I was 61 years old when I had the most unusual encounter of my life. I'm an unassuming man, steady and phlegmatic, with a thick brush of white hair and a craggy outdoorsman's face. I enjoy a pint and a dram, but I never indulge when I'm working. I've spent my entire adult life working as a forester in the Deakmont Woods located in Livingston, West Lothian, Scotland. On the morning of Friday, November 9, 1979, I set off with my red setter Lara to check the woods on Deakmont Law for stray sheep and cattle. It was a damp day, and as I parked the van and set off down the forest track, the noise of the Edinburgh-Glasgow motorway was muffled by the thick, dark fir trees. The dog ran ahead, and my trudging wellingtons made the only sound. Then, as I turned a corner into a clearing filled with light, I saw it, an unidentified flying object, UFO. The object had a dark gray color, and its texture was like an emery board, with small brighter highlighted areas against a darker background. The appearance of the exterior seemed to change, as if the UFO was attempting to camouflage itself. I estimated its size to be around 18 to 20 feet in diameter and about 12 feet high. It looked as if it was mounted on a ring, resembling a hat with a brim. There were also protruding stems topped by propellers on the outside of the craft. Nothing on the object was moving at the time. Suddenly, two small spheres rushed at me. They were like miniature versions of the large craft, making a sound as they approached, with spikes on the outside making contact with the ground. They stopped by my side and attached themselves to my trousers, dragging me back toward the UFO. I was overwhelmed by an extremely strong smell, causing me to struggle for air, and I soon lost consciousness. When I regained consciousness, the UFO and the smaller spheres were gone, but Lara, my red setter, was still with me. She was unsettled, running around and barking madly. As I tried to call out to her, I realized I had no voice. I couldn't stand either. Eventually, I crawled back the way I had come for about 300 feet. Gradually, I was able to stand up and walk back to my pickup truck. I attempted to contact the forestry headquarters using my two-way radio but found that my voice had not yet returned. I tried to drive back home in my pickup truck, but it got stuck in the mud so i began the long walk back to my house which was approximately a mile away and finally arrived at 11:15 a.m. my entire experience had lasted just over an hour by the time i reached home my wife was shocked to see my condition covered in mud with torn pants i began telling her the story of what had happened she wanted to call the police but i was against it considering the subject matter However, I allowed her to call my job supervisor, Malcolm Drummond, and inform him about the incident. While she made the calls, I took a bath to clean up. Drummond, being eager to find out what had happened, called a physician and immediately drove to my house. He questioned me while I was still in the bathtub. We both agreed that there must be some kind of physical evidence left on the ground by either the craft or the small spheres so we headed back to the area to investigate. However, Drummond couldn't find the exact location. Dr. Gordon Adams arrived and examined my condition. He found grazed areas on my left leg and under my chin, but no apparent head injuries. At that time, my body temperature, blood pressure, and other functions seemed normal. Adams called for an ambulance to take me to the hospital for a head x-ray and a counseling session. However, I decided to postpone the hospital visit as I had planned to visit relatives over the weekend and didn't want to miss the trip. Word of the encounter spread, and soon the press caught wind of it. By Sunday, the incident was known all over the United Kingdom, and within a week, it had gained worldwide attention. The story was featured in television documentaries, magazines, and books. Even the company I worked for erected a plaque at the site to commemorate the event although it was later stolen. The local police, inexperienced in dealing with UFO cases, didn't discount my description of the incident. They took testimony from me, my wife, and Dr. Adams. Due to the assault involved, they sent my clothing from that day for forensic examination. A cursory overview revealed torn pant legs at the hip area, and traces of a powder were found. However, It turned out that the powder was just maize starch transferred from the bag used to send in the trousers. The police also investigated any flights that might have occurred that day, but found no evidence of planes, helicopters, or any other equipment in the area. The ground markings, consisting of two parallel ladder-like tracks with holes, confirmed that something had been on the spot I indicated. I was well respected by people in the area, and there was no reason to believe I would hoax such an incident. I had a history of illnesses and surgeries, but there was nothing in my medical records suggesting head injuries or psychosis. I know what I saw, I insisted. My firm belief in my story led the police to open a criminal investigation for assault, making it the only such case in Britain arising from a UFO sighting. The investigation remains open. My neighbors, however, were more skeptical, and eventually, I decided to move away to an undisclosed address. Nevertheless, I became the most famous witness to aliens in Britain. My trousers were analyzed by psychics at spiritualist meetings, and on the anniversaries of the sighting, UFO spotters would gather in the clearing, hoping for another encounter. The aliens didn't stop there. Since that November day, West Lothian skies have been filled with glimmering disks, strange lights, and bouncing fireballs. The Falkirk Triangle now records around 300 UFO sightings a year, more than any other place on Earth. The Forge restaurant in Bonnie Bridge, where fireballs sail over the trees and wingless planes are seen in the fields, has become a hotspot. Some experts suggest that West Lothian may be a thin place offering a window from earth into another dimension. If we accept my account as true, I was abducted by something otherworldly for about 20 minutes on November 9, 1979. No evidence has emerged to disprove my story. I was respected by those who knew me, and I never sought to profit from my alleged experience.